Hello everyone, welcome back to the PGC podcast. It's episode 13 and we're returning with another book review and back by popular demand is our guest, Dr. Judith Neen. Judith, you're back. Hello, it's very nice to be back. I'm used to being in a podcast by now, thank you. Yes, we, we bring this up with everybody who's who's been since, you know, how do you feel being inside a podcast? You've, <laughs> you've coined that phrase, that yes. is yours now. <laughs> So yes, we are, we're reviewing a book, uh, another book, The Learning Rainforest by Tom Sherrington. That's the book that we've got today. So Judith, what drew you to this book? Well, it's interesting. It's a recommendation, isn't it? These things always are. It was a recommendation from a colleague. And it's one of these books, which is Um, what my son would call a thing. Uh, Everybody is talking about it. And uh, I feel that, you know, I had to uh, have a read and get on top of it and see what it was about. So that's initially what it was. Also, I believe Tom Sherrington is a blogger, a well-known blogger. He is. Um, I am not a a blogger follower, I have to confess. But I I recognise that he has something uh, of a reputation, so I thought I, I ought to find out more. Teacherhead.com, I believe his uh, his blog patch is. I, like you, Judith, follow his blog, and I also follow him on Twitter, and that's how this book came onto my radar. And I've got to say, for me, just as a kind of first stab at, um, at my review, and I think it's probably the best review you could have, which is I've used it quite a bit in my teaching practice so far with my teacher trainees. So I think there's a lot of interesting food for thought in this book, which we'll try and take a deep dive into in this discussion. But I think something that you're going to do, Judith, which I think is a, a great point, actually, is when a student teacher picks up a book like this, that is a thing, as your son would say, when you're a novice, I wonder, and, and I think you've you've picked up on this too, this could be something that um, you might not know where to start with it because there's a lot of interesting philosophical ideas in there, but there's also some really interesting practical tips. So you've come at this, this review with the angle of how a student teacher might navigate their way through a book like this and find some really useful stuff that's going to be pertinent to their starting point as a novice teacher. Yeah, I think we tend to recommend books to students and then leave them to it. And I think when we, and this is is quite, I mean, it's not a a huge heavy book, but there's a fair old amount to it. And it's very helpful to, to student teachers if you can point them in the right direction. I think that's particularly important with this book because this book is a broad brush book. It's designed to attract teachers of all different levels of experience. So I think we need to to say to novice teachers, actually, you might want, want to put that area on the back burner for now, but actually focus on this part of it that might be most used to you. And that's the teacher in you, isn't it? That's your that's your kind of pedagogy coming through, you know, you're ever the English teacher as well. We, we pick up a novel that we're going to teach to our, our English class and we, we, we're not just going to kind of attack the whole thing at once we're thinking you know what am I going to start with where are we going to point them to first in their in their learning journey it's interesting you point out that um, yes uh, my roots are as an English teacher and this book is called the learning rainforest so it's built around this metaphor isn't it this extended metaphor so that's going to appeal to me straight away even though it's by a physics teacher so well done physics teacher for including a metaphor 
Absolutely. And I wonder if just before we start to think about how a student teacher might navigate their way through this, since you've mentioned the metaphor, Mm -hmm. how we ought to just kind of give a bit of an overview of the metaphor according to Tom Sherrington and the alternative or the the antithesis of that metaphor, which is a plantation Mm. metaphor um, for education and for a school. So the learning rainforest then... So Sherrington says, in a learning rainforest, there is enormous variety of the range of trees and plants that are thriving in the environment. It is lush, exotic, awe-inspiring, unpredictable, non-linear, evolving, daunting. Each specimen is magnificent in its own right, with different organisms occupying their niche in an environment that is self nourishing he also talks about this being quite a a scary place it is not cozy or safe it is a a harsh environment at times not everything thrives unaided however as a result the plants that flourish are very robust with extensive roots that are nimble and adapt to change with ease so how might this look in a school well he takes this metaphor a step further he even has a picture um, this is one of the many recent uh, books that's been illustrated by oliver cavalioli who is the educational illustrator of our times it seems to me and the idea that tom sherrington puts forward is that first of all you have to establish the conditions for learning so you need a kind of strong root system for everything to be based upon He then compares the trunk of the tree to the process of building knowledge. And this is where he kind of dips a toe into the whole knowledge versus skills, traditionalist versus progressive kind of debate. And then he refers to the canopy of the rainforest, all the kind of leaves and little branches up at the top, as being the more kind of creative bit where the pupils can explore possibilities. And he then kind of attempts to nail down the relative proportions of these things he makes the point that they're all kind of pointless on their own or they all can't survive on their own that you need all three and i mean thinking about our last book review this is where he does depart from the christodoulou approach a little bit he does acknowledge the place of creativity and pupil-led things and quite a few things that, that she doesn't really seem to be a big fan of but he tries to come down in, in terms of giving some proportions as to how big each of these bits should be. And I think potentially that's where some of the debate can happen. Because as you say, he's coming at this as a science teacher. And I think perhaps not everything that he said with his science teacher head on, I entirely agreed with with my kind of expressive arts teacher head on. He's tentative, isn't he, on this bit. He recognises, I think, that he's on iffy ground. He says that 80% of the teaching should be what we call mode A or what he calls mode A, which is focused on building that knowledge and 20% is anything else. And that's what he calls mode B. But he does accept that that is his own estimate of what it should be and that he hasn't really got any scientific basis for saying why that percentage or why that ratio would be effective. Mm. Uh, And he also accepts, I think, that other teachers of other subject areas would say that the percentages should be quite different. Um, That's right. And I I think, uh, you know, as as a general theme to the book, he sets up a lot of seemingly binaries, a lot of sort of, he explores the antithesis of 
progressive approaches to education and traditional approaches to education a knowledge focus and then a more explorative problem-based constructivist approach to learning and he what I quite like is that he he's very aware that they aren't as simple as being binaries he does like when he talks about the plantation versus the the rainforest plantation being um a lot more standardized um having a monoculture um adverse to risk emphasis on control he doesn't necessarily say that that is um an ineffective or or a wrong approach um to education he simply says that you know there there is a time and a place for for all of this depending on context pupils and all of the nuances that we know um, exist within education because we have the experience but for the unexperienced novice where would they start with this book do you think well, I think actually yeah, that list of uh, plantation characteristics. So he he says that, you know, plantation thinking, as he calls it, so very hierarchical, very imposed from above, very obsessed with data and, you know, short termist results, culture and things. He sees it as being unsustainable in the vein of, you know, chopping down your rainforest and intensively farming soya beans or something in it you know that it'll work for a while but you're going to exhaust the soil and it's all going to kind of go wrong further down the line i actually felt that his list of characteristics of a plantation culture in a school was worth the cover price on its own just so you can read it if you're in school and see how many red flags it kind of waves around for you i felt it was an absolutely great list I think a really nice feature of the book as well is the fact that it divides neatly into two halves. So he, first of all, has a really good look around some quite theoretical things and introduces us to some research and that kind of thing. But then the whole of the second half of the book is devoted to what does this look like in your classroom, which for a student teacher or indeed for any teacher, I think, is is really welcome. So if we're looking at what might be useful to them, um, in part one... He talks a lot about his own experience. In fact, he talks a lot about his own experience throughout, which is is partly helpful. Uh, I found sometimes partly too personal as well, but that's a different (laughs) matter. He talks about the debate on pedagogy Mm -hmm. and the the conflict, which we've sort of touched on previously with that when we looked at Christodoulou. Mm -hmm. He talks about the curriculum debate and then he goes on to look at what research says. And I think that's where student teachers, novice teachers need to start getting really interested about uh, what the research is saying. He has a chapter on assessment Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And really importantly for student teachers, he talks about managing the learning rainforest. And that's where it starts to become really useful because he's moving towards these practical strategies, which he's going to bring up in part two. Absolutely. And and you noticed, and I, I, I'd have to agree with this, actually, that and I, and I must say this is the same impulse that I had with the Christodoulou text was handle content with care with student teachers, the kind of interspersed quite sophisticated strategies that really experienced teachers, they're best placed in experienced teachers' hands, I would argue, and other strategies that actually a novice teacher would really benefit from getting them under their belt quite quickly. Were there any in particular that you 
found were a bone of contention in that vein? The, um, well, if, if you remember, we said he divides it into three sections, or Tom said, establishing the conditions. So if yes. we're using our metaphor, that's the roots, building the uh, knowledge structure, and that's the trunk of the tree, and the canopy is the exploring the possibilities. So if we looked at the establishing the conditions, he puts a lot of time and effort into thinking about fostering the right attitudes needed and having high expectations. Mm. Um it's actually it's actually quite an inspiring book. He's really really committed to providing uh, really high quality education for his students. You can see that, um, and an example of where an experienced teacher would be able to grasp exactly what he's talking about is he talks about teaching to the top. You know, sometimes in in classrooms we. We talk about teaching to the middle, to the the bulk of the class and differentiating upwards for the more able and for the lower attaining students. And he uh, insists that you teach to the top. Mm-hmm. And this is a strategy that is widely used. It's possibly one which is more difficult for a novice teacher. A novice teacher is trying to grasp the level that they should be teaching at. Very often they've come straight out of university. They have a very good subject knowledge behind them and um, they are trying to find the right level to teach 14-year-olds or whatever. Yes. Yes. So without greater explanation, and he doesn't really give enough explanation in the book, uh, I would say that this teaching to the top is one to put on hold, or at least if you don't put it on hold, talk to your department about. So if you are in a department which is saying, we organise our curriculum by teaching to the top, use this as a starting point for a discussion and say, actually, what would that look like in practice? How how do I do that? But I, I would say that's certainly an area where they need to have gained their own um, scale of of how to pitch things in the classroom before they can teach to the top. Absolutely, which I I think resonates quite nicely with the point you made in our in our Krista Dulu podcast about the significance of um, pedagogical content knowledge um, as advocated by Shulman, which is that novice teachers actually need to look at the content they're trying to teach with an eye on trying to break it down into its its more granular aspects um, so that pupils can, you know, comprehend it, get to know it, you know, at yeah. their pace. And, and, and so that's quite a complex skill set, actually. It is. Um, and knowledge base for, 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 a, for a novice teacher. It is. He does give some um, really good advice. I mean, this is for any teacher, but yes. particularly for beginning teachers. So in the same section, establishing those conditions, he talks about behaviour management and he says, he's got a nice section, use the system as a lever, not a weapon. Yes. And getting that right so that you can teach within the classroom and you use your behaviour management systems, whatever it is within the school and within your classroom, not a, to punish poor behaviour, but to bring about a difference in behaviour or to bring about the excellent behaviour 
that you want. Yes. So so there are some some really good things in there as I well. Agreed. And I, I do like the way that, you know, he, he does, although we've kind of provided critique to a degree on the lack of research underpinning his, his 80-20, what he does do is signpost some really useful additional authors. So, for example, in, in the example that you were just talking about to do with behaviour, he introduces Bill Rogers, who is a great researcher and, and practitioner for novice teachers to look to for yeah. deeper be, deeper knowledge and understanding he's almost a saint he, bill rogers <laughs> isn't he you know you cannot go wrong with bill rogers i think there's some really refreshing moments as well thinking about the behavior management thing i think to some extent tom sherrington is kind of in an area that's quite fashionable at the moment in education writers you know there is currently a fashion about trying to put knowledge back at the centre of things and maybe rebalancing things. I think, you know, there's a lot going on with a few schools here and there in the country where they're going to a very, very rigid and and, uh, draconian approach to behaviour management. And he's not afraid to burst a few bubbles here and there. I mean, on both sides of the argument, he he uh, takes down Ken Robinson's famous paperclip example, you know, about the fact that two-year-olds have got far more creative uses for a paperclip than an adult by saying yes, but perhaps that's because we've got more quality control in our ideas. He also says silent corridors and rigid discipline might be a means to an end at a certain point in time, but they're surely never the goal. So although he kind of sits in a currently quite fashionable area i think his heart is more in the right place than one or two people we might have read recently he is a very experienced practitioner he's taught in lots of different institutions different types of institutions yes and so he is coming at this book with uh, a good basis for what he's saying and I think it it would this is why it appeals to colleagues because he is aspirational in Mm. what he's saying but he's also realistic yes just as you know in your exam um, example Tom uh, he is very realistic in what he's proposing. Yeah, I would agree with that. And actually, that rings true if you look to his blog as well and and his Twitter account in that he doesn't discourage or shut down, as we can sometimes see um, on the Twitter platform, debate, healthy debate about the issues that he raises and about his perspectives. There's a famous one, actually, on his blog where he talks about the Hattie ranking system and he rightly kind of identifies the nuances within um, the ranking and some of the items on that list one being homework and the differences if you drill down into the detail between the effect sizes of homework within a primary context and a secondary context and actually Hattie wades in on that forum and has has a very good point to make in response so There's that healthy debate, I think, that comes through more so maybe in the Sherrington book. Yes. Openness to, for a repost. Yeah, I think you'll get a lot of ideas, but you won't get an enormous amount of certainty. And I'm always incredibly wary of anybody giving certainties in the world of education. Yeah, it is interesting. He is popular. If, If you look at the front of this book, he has recommendations from lots of different people in there. And I think he is showing respect to 
other educational consultants, writers, etc. But he has a healthy scepticism as well, which is probably why he's sort of popular across the board, I would think. I think so. I wonder, I'm just wondering now, actually, if that is um, very much a trait of a scientist, because science is, is always seeking to disprove itself and to find a new theory. You know, it's there is that kind of culture of trying to disprove existing research in order to advance so actually maybe that that is you know the demeanor and the 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 way that a scientist is wired that actually that healthy debate is um is progressive yeah Yeah, they're strangely more comfortable with uncertainty than perhaps we might think aren't they scientists they deal in it every day yeah it's probably also worth saying to sort of go off on on a different tack at the moment within wales we're looking at curriculum reform and looking at the new curriculum that's coming in and one of the underpinning features of it is the 12 pedagogical principles and actually having a look at the aspects that he's looking at it's very easy to tie these in to the pedagogical principles so for example if he's talking about Uh, establishing, we talked before, establishing effective behaviour routines and developing relationships that support um, self-esteem, motivation and their engagement with teacher feedback. Now that fits in really nicely with uh, pedagogical principle 11 from um, the new curriculum from Donaldson's um, Successful Futures report which um, asks for good teaching and learning which supports social and emotional development and positive relationships. So I would suggest that for teachers in Wales, this has the added benefit of being quite pertinent um, to the curriculum reform and some of his ideas fit very nicely into how do we make this pedagogical principle work in application and I think if you look at some of his ideas it will it will provide a nice step forward for it as well. It's a nice little exercise actually Judith <laughs> I think uh, I'm going to steal that task for, for curriculum design for my IT students next year. <laughs> Um, What I do like as well is um, he draws upon at the start of the book uh, his varieties, his his various experiences in different educational contexts to explore what makes a great teacher and draws upon experience he's had of, of previous teachers in previous schools. So kind of reinforcing the need for novice teachers and, and teachers at any stage in their career to step outside of their curriculum area their classroom and to always be observing others I think and maybe this is um, coming from personal experience but later on in my development as a as a teacher I think the culture slightly changed and I think it was maybe the culture of of Ofsted fear Estin fear that I I became less inclined to to wanting people to come into my classroom and and watch me teach. And I think I was probably very much influenced by that accountability culture. But now I think I'm starting to really see the benefits at any stage in your career of of having somebody come in, see what you do, cherry pick ideas, talk about pedagogy. Um, And I I like that. I'd like to think that our new teachers will will embrace that. I think he... 
he likes teachers, doesn't he? Yeah. Not only is he aspirational for pupils and students and learners, he's aspirational for his teachers. Um, and you get the impression that he really does enjoy going around, seeing the different lessons. He's a science teacher, but he gives us lots of good examples in the book from different subject areas. Yes. Of, uh, things that he's relished, things that he's appreciated. He praises other teachers. So he has this aspirational, realistic approach, but also full of praise for other teachers, which is rather nice, really. And very much in keeping with the metaphor, because it, I, I, what I really liked that he talks about within the rainforest too is that if you've got some teachers and some departments that are doing something really well, why would you introduce uh, a new strategy that's hot in research, mandate it, make it you know something that everybody has to wholesale do when they, it's not necessarily going to be right for that department or that teacher? You know, it, it's a difference in approach that I I, I found quite refreshing. Um, yeah, I love the fact that he really explicitly gives teachers permission to be mavericks as long as they're good yeah he says crucially even the greatest teachers are not at their optimum day in day out but their routine core practice is so strong that they never fall too far from their peak which i think is a nice lesson actually is that you know once we've established that core practice let's try and be a bit maverick let's keep trying to change things up a little bit try new strategies take some some risks in the same ways we would ask our pupils to yeah, definitely. And he gives an enormous number of really nice strategies towards the end of the book. I mean, interestingly, given that he says that he only wants 20% of the time to be taken up with these kind of creative, pupil-led, exploring the possibilities type strategies, he gives loads of really nice ones. And he writes so enthusiastically about them and, and about the great results he had with the pupils that I sometimes wonder whether he was actually following his 80-20 rule when he was in the classroom himself. And, and every now and again, he sort of snaps himself back and, and kind of damns mode B with a bit of faint praise just to try and get himself back again. But reading the final section of the book, I couldn't help feeling that his, his heart was very much more in that side of things because he does set out some really nice ideas. The, he talks, you're right, Tom, he talks about detective activities, he talks about projects... He talks about reciprocal teaching that is so useful in the classroom. And going off piste, I really like that idea as well, that, you know, current affairs can make, you know, even Donaldson talks about um, looking to what's going on in the real world to find parallels, to make it uh, meaningful to our pupils. Obviously, links that perhaps resonate with their everyday lives and that permission to go off piste, goodness. That's, uh... And that's what your maverick teachers do, really, is that they feel that they can do that. And, um, and that's what, where the students gain from it. So I guess to round off our deep discussion, as we did with the Krista Dulu book, I think it'd be nice to kind of say, you know, our, our, our final sort of review points, that our, our general takeaways from, from this book. And um, I'm happy to kick this off and, and say that what I like about it is that there's something for every stage of your career in this book, whether you are a, a seasoned professional and, as Tom said at the start, you, you look at those two opposite metaphors and 
different schools that you worked in begin to make a lot more sense or resonate with you or indeed as Judith said if you're a novice teacher some really great practical tips and some research leads uh, for you to explore. What about you Judith? Following on from that I think it's just a good jumping off point for various ideas and strategies. He doesn't give a lot of detail. He does in some cases more than others, but actually you can take an idea, take it away, go and discuss it with your department um, and think, how can we make this work? I think he did a great job of covering an enormous an an enormously wide range of topics and I think he does it uh, from a good place I think he does it from a place where nothing is sacred in the best possible way uh, and where we're demanding high standards and a certain amount of accountability but we're also keeping that magic that makes teaching an art so while I don't agree with everything he says I'm not entirely sure he agrees with everything he says to be perfectly honest I take it all and I find it all really useful Great. Now, as you know, Judith, the guests that we invite to our lovely podcast come along with some words of wisdom on well-being, a shout out and something to try. So what is your well-being tip for us this week? Okay, I'd like to recommend an activity that we do here at Cardiff Met, which is a staff book club. And we meet regularly to talk about various research books. And we met today, in fact. And I was trying to think why I like it so much. It is very satisfying. Not only does it make you read and keep up to date with books, but you share and learn so much from colleagues. And it's particularly satisfying because it's a non-threatening environment Mm. where you can um, work in a non-judgmental way but you're developing your own knowledge etc and it is just very enjoyable getting together with colleagues uh, and discussing things so um, having a book club in, in a previous life I've run a writing club a staff writing club as well but anything which brings you together I would recommend for well-being. I would agree with that and something that you did this time around that I thought was a really good idea for those teachers out there perhaps who've got quite a heavy workload and they're thinking well how am I going to possibly do a book club if I can't fit in the whole book was that you actually sent out a chapter to those who hadn't necessarily had a chance to look at the whole book but really wanted to come and join and I thought that in terms of kind of differentiation (laughs) and access and workload management you know you might not be able to read the whole book but take a look at a chapter, come and have a listen and you can still... And and colleagues come who haven't read it, but actually they're inspired to go away and read it because uh, we've had a discussion on it. And research books don't have to be heavy, do they? We've discovered, we've uncovered in the process of doing this staff book club, but there are a number of really accessibly written books that are full of really good stuff. And I think we've all benefited from it. Thanks for that wellbeing tip, Judith. Okay, so who are you going to shout out to this week? Okay, this is a shout out to a special group of trainees. And this is PGC trainees or uh, student teachers who have young kids. And these I'm always full of admiration for those trainees who manage to get through their PGC course and have a family to look after as well. They are usually very driven, very well organised and a delight to work with. And they show 
that it can be done. Absolutely. And this, this resonates quite nicely with an episode, uh, episode 11, I believe it was. That was we, the one, yeah. We were talking about how to uh, how to apply and to successfully get onto a PGC programme. And we, we referenced parents who were thinking of applying then. And I think that advice um, kind of extends then and to those fantastic parent trainee teachers out there who do a great job and finally have you got a little something for us to try or for us our listeners to try i have and in fact i've got a little something for you to try which is um based on some work that one of my ex-students did abby cooper and she was indeed one of these students who had young children she still does have she qualified in 2016 and her kids now are seven and eight she now works in um, orchard school in bristol Uh, she's uh, made it to uh, second in faculty as well in the english faculty Uh, and she comes in and talks to some of our students and also students in other universities who shall remain nameless about uh, her approach to assessment. And what I want to suggest that you have a go at is using a marking crib sheet. Now she uses, when she's doing her marking, she has a sheet beside her where she is making notes about what she's noticing uh, within the marking. So, I mean, probably a lot of us do this. I have a scrap of paper where I'm, Mm. I'm noting even now the common things that come up now this is what Abby is doing and she is doing it in perhaps a little bit more of an organized way so um, she has an A4 sheet so if you imagine she's got an A4 sheet in front of her it's sort of landscape and it's got seven boxes on it and in those boxes are things like there's a box for praise and as she's going along she will put in the box those students who are due for uh, for particular praise for doing something perhaps that they haven't done before or um, showing a good example of something. She has another box of cause for concern. Uh, Again, she'll note the names of students that she needs to catch up on on that. She has a box for missing or incomplete work. So you can see that she's tracking all the different aspects on this crib sheet as she goes along. She has another box for... um, dirt or dedicated improvements and reflection time so that's going to be the focus when she gives back the work these are the main themes that have come up and this is what we're going to work on there is a box for misconceptions and actions so for example it might be they're getting their apostrophes wrong or issues with homophones or whatever mm-hmm. and then the final two boxes are on spag so Um, spelling and punctuation and grammar and presentation now she uses this because as teachers we spend an awful lot of time marking and particularly English teachers history teachers etc spend an awful lot of time putting marks on students work and to be quite frank I think Sherrington notes this as well Mm. uh, that uh, very often it's um, wasted time because Mm -hmm. the students don't look in detail at it but what is important is that we as teachers are noting the areas where they're learning where they're not learning and keeping this crib sheet by you makes you do this in an an organized way so I think it's sort of minimal marking on the work 
but keeping a crib sheet where you're keeping all that useful information. Mm-hmm. And I think um, with older classes, you can show me examples, um, and as long as it fits in with the uh, marking policy at the school, she'll actually copy the crib sheet for the students as well. Mm-hmm. So they're aware of the key issues as well. So really smart working on that. So that's what I would suggest that you, you try and have a go at. Lovely. Thank you for that. And it's that age old adage, isn't it, of quality, not quantity, um, you know, helping you to manage that workload and doing things that are actually going to be meaningful for your pupils progress. Judith, it has been an absolute pleasure, as always. Thank you for being a guest on our lovely podcast. Thank you to you, Tom. Um, And it's goodbye from all of us. And we will, I'm sure, see you again in the future. Thank you. Bye. That was Emma and Tom's PGCE podcast, presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Rees. Today's special guest was me, Judith Neen. Today's book was The Learning Rainforest by Tom Sherrington. We salute student teachers with small children once again. With organisation and tenacity, it can be done. Thanks also to Abby Cooper and her assessment strategies. We're off for a ramble through the learning rainforest. Until next time, take care and enjoy teaching. Mm